welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, we are going to be back in Matthew chapter 22 this morning. We've been in a series here over the past several weeks called Make Disciples. And this series is outlining why we as a church, why Ramsey Heights exists. We are here and we exist because God has called us together for the purpose of being disciples and making disciples. You might say that we are disciples who make more disciples. And since that is why we exist, we've been working over the past year to come up with a plan to accomplish that. What are we as a church doing to make sure that we are obeying God's commands to make disciples? What what are we planning to do? How are we being active in our mission of making disciples? And what we've come up with is an ABC process. The ABCs of disciple making. Last week we talked about step A in this process. What we as a church are wanting to do as a church to make disciples. Step A is a disciple adores God. We believe that becoming a disciple and growing as a disciple is a process, and that process starts with adoring God, with loving God the way he's called us to. And we get that from Jesus himself. When Jesus was asked by people, they came to him and said, Jesus, there are 613 commandments in this Old Testament, in this Bible. Which one's the most important? And what Jesus said, replied to them was not to go to church. He didn't reply, dress a certain way. He didn't say, quit cussing. What Jesus said is, love the Lord God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind. He said, love me with completeness. Love me with everything that you have. And so as a church, our first step in this ABCs of disciple making is we want to teach that it is a choice that we can make to love God. In our world, we like to use the word adore because love is a, sometimes a strong word and sometimes a weak word. But there is a choice that we can make as believers to love him with our heart by focusing the center or focusing our emotional being on him, love him with our souls by focusing our desires on him, and love, on, love him with our mind by focusing our thoughts on him. And this is the purpose of our worship gatherings. When we come in here, this room is called the sanctuary. You know why? It's because we hide from the world in here. We come here as believers together with other believers and we leave everything else outside and we come here for one purpose. God, in here, I recenter my life on you. God, I come here to worship you. I come here to sing to you. I come here to learn about you because I'm recentering my life. And we believe that that's what we should be doing during this period of time. But once we've accomplished that, Once we're in a place where we're attending on a regular basis, where we're coming here and we're learning and we're growing in scripture, where we're committing to following God and we are following him, in other words, once we come to a place where we begin to adore God, we move on to the next step. So as a church, we hope that in this place that we learn to adore God and that once we are here and we are making that a regular part of our life, we hope that the next step of disciple making is step B, which is this. It's on your notes if you're taking notes. is a disciple bridges gaps. I'm going to explain that to you. Let's go back to Matthew 22. Jesus is teaching And they come up to him and they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers them with what I just told you. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. But he doesn't just stop there. He continues to go farther. So if you've got your Bibles with you, read this story with me. Verse 36. Master, which is the greatest commandment of the law? 
Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord your, thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He continues, And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we're, we're familiar with Jesus saying we should love God with everything. Give him everything that you have. Pour your heart and soul into following him. And it sounds like that's enough. That's a pretty big thing for God to command us to do. Love God with everything that I have. Don't love anything else more than I love him. Heart, soul, and mind focus on him. Change my desires. Change, change what I center my emotional being on. And Jesus goes, oh yeah, but there's a second part to that. Like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now let's, let's, let's break this down for a second to see if we can get what Jesus is really seeing here. Because there's a lot of verses as church members, as people that come to church, like we know the verses. Probably everybody in here has heard, love your neighbor as yourself. But what is Jesus really calling us to do in that? What is he calling us as Christians? How are we to represent him? So first he says, love. Now we talked about this last week. Love is a word that we use for too many things. I might say that I love the decorations in your house. I might say that I love my wife. Those two are not anywhere close. They're not the same. But the word love in the Greek that is used here is agape, and that means to love with a sacrificial love. So when the Bible says to love, when we are commanded to love, it's not commanding us to have this warm, fuzzy feeling. You guys were all 16 at one time, and you started dating someone, and you got those butterflies in your stomach. That's my butterfly. You got your butterflies in your stomach, and, and you're like, oh, I just love them so much, and you had that emotion. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. What the Bible's talking about is a choice. Because you may have fallen in love when you were 16 and had those butterflies, but they went away. And then we make a choice to love our children. We make a choice to love our spouses. We make a choice to love others. What God is saying here is make a choice to love others with a sacrificial love. To do for them whether or not they deserve it. And then Jesus says, love them as yourself. Now, this has been misquoted a bunch of times. Some people will be like, well, to love others, you must first love you. That's not what the Bible's saying. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't have very nice things to say about you. What the Bible is saying here is that you love yourself enough to sacrifice for what you want and what you need. There's not a person in here who is going to sit in a house hungry and go, you know what, I'm just not going to feed myself for the next week. None of us are going to do that. When we have a need, when we have a desire, because we love ourselves, we fulfill that. And what the Bible is teaching us is when you see your neighbor, you love them in that exact same way. You take care of their needs as you would take care of your needs. And what Jesus does with one simple commandment is he revolutionizes relationships. That's not, that's not normal for us. Worldly, worldly relationships say this. You love people, you build relationships with people who can give something to you. Every person in the history of the world has built relationships on that. I'm going to build a relationship with you. I'm going to build a friendship with you. I'm going to marry you because I'm getting something out of it. One of my closest friendships started that way. I had a, a very close friend in high school named John, and John started dating a girl named Heather. And suddenly John was not very available to me anymore. And so I was lonely, and I didn't have any friends but I did have an acquaintance who didn't have a truck. And I did have a truck. And so our friendship, me and Justin became very close friends because I was lonely and I needed someone to hang out with and he needed a ride to the fair. Like that's how the relationship started. We tend to build relationships based on like, what can you give me? 
But what Jesus says this in the Christian world, it says disciples build relationship asking the question, what can I give them? And this is the command that's given to us. And if we take this seriously, when we build relationships, that is why we build relationships. God, you put me here to build relationships with these people for your glory. God, that's why I work here. God, that's why I go to church here. God, God, that's why I live next to these people. God, what can I give? I can build a relationship on the basis that I'm serving you. But I think the most interesting part of this is God commands us to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves, to build relationships based on what I can give rather than what I can get. And he uses this word. He uses the word neighbor. It's just, it's just an odd word that's in there. Like, it just, like it, very rarely do we use that word in the English language. And as a matter of fact, it didn't make a lot of sense back then either because later on they came back to Jesus and they said, okay, we've heard you teach that you should love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? If I've got to give this self-sacrificial love thing, give me some parameters because I'm just not going to do this for everybody. And Jesus told this story. Many of you know the story of the Good Samaritan. And the story is like this. A man was traveling on the road. He's jumped by a bunch of thieves and robbers. They beat him up. They steal his clothes. They steal his money. They steal his little man purse thing that he was carrying. And they leave him for dead on the side of the road. And then Jesus tells a story about three different people that walks by him. A priest and a Levite. They both walk by him and go, ooh, that guy looks like he smells. And they both cross on the other side of the road and go past him. But yet a Samaritan shows up. And what you need to know about that story is a Samaritan would be somebody who would be this man's enemy. Samaritans were like the lowest part of society in Israel at this time. They had turned their back on God. They weren't even really Jewish. And so to say Samaritan would be the same thing as me saying, oh, well, a murderer is walking by or a bank robber is walking by, the lowest of the low of society. But yet the Samaritan stops and he takes the man and he takes care of him. He cares for his wounds. He puts him on his own donkey. He takes him to a hotel. He pays for a room and he says, oh, by the way, I'll be back here. If he needs anything else, take care of him and I'll pay you when I come back. And then Jesus tells that story and he asks this question. He says, okay, in this story, who was the man's neighbor? And everybody replied, the Samaritan. The one who should have been his enemy, but the one who chose to love him. Now, I think what we miss in that story is we can get caught up in the details here. What we miss is the main point, is what Jesus is saying is your neighbor is not the ones that you are likely to form a relationship with because you are friends with them, or I'm sorry, because you have the same common interests and hobbies. Uh, you don't form relationships. You are not somebody's neighbor based on yours or theirs likability. What Jesus is saying here is you are a neighbor with someone based on proximity, Regardless of how you feel about them, what you agree on with them, what you disagree with them on, or how likely you would enjoy spending time with them, neighbor is about proximity. And that makes sense in the English language, doesn't it? Well, when we say neighbors, we're usually referring to who? The people that live in the houses closest to us. We're talking about proximity. So what the Bible is teaching here is that you love people not based on what they can do for you, you pay, love them not based on their likability. You love people not based on their common interests. The truth is that we love people that we build relationships based on serving others in our general proximity. That people who are close to us, people who God has put in our life, that is who we're called to love. And then Jesus goes on and he throws this in here. And it just makes it all, the much, all that much more important. Jesus says this about the second commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
He says, this is like the first commandment. Jesus, Jesus takes this commandment and he puts it on a level with the first commandment. He said, okay, everybody knows you should love God, but let me tell you, there's another one that's like that. And like can be used in two ways here. Number one, he's saying it's like it in importance. Like if the greatest commandment is to love God, that means that it is just as important to love people, to love your neighbor this way. And as a matter of fact, all of the rules in the Bible fall under these two things. It is the top of God's list. But it's also like the first in action. It's interesting what Jesus is saying here and what the Bible teaches us about loving our neighbors. It's the same thing in a lot of ways as loving God. Think about the word like. What do we use the word like for? We use the word like to describe two things that are basically the same. Like if I'm describing Brother Larry's truck, I would tell you it's like my truck. It's not my truck, but it's the same thing. As a matter of fact, that was a bad example. I should have used Glenita's car because Glenita's car and my wife's car are exactly the same. You can't, I can't tell who's pulling in the church half the time. So they're like, they're the same thing. They may not be connected, but they're the same thing. And so what Jesus is teaching us here is that loving God is loving people. And loving people is loving God. There is a correlation between these two things, that these two things are intertwined together for believers. And so if we're going to follow God, if we're going to be disciples, we must love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We must also love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And God makes it a little more clear in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about yours and my entrance into heaven. And he's telling us what it's going to be like. He said, God's going to be there and Jesus is going to be there. And he said, you're going to be welcomed into heaven. And God's going to say something to you along the lines of, hey, thank you for, thank you for feeding me when I was hungry. Thank you for, for giving me something to drink when I was thirsty. Thank you for clothing me when I was naked. Thank you for giving me a place to live when I was homeless. And we're going to reply, God, I never did those things for you. And here's what God is going to reply in that moment. He said, when you did this for my people that I love, you did it for and to me. So the truth is, is if we're going to follow God, we have to build relationships based on the concept of serving God. This is the definition of loving your neighbor. If you're taking notes, take home truth number one is God desires disciples to create relationships for the purpose of glorifying him. And as a matter of fact, it's not just for that purpose. It's a continuation and a side effect of adoring God. Now, there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. Uh, for us, creating relationships is difficult. It's not natural for us to go out building relationships just because it's also not natural for us to go out building relationships for the purpose of glorifying God. Statistics will tell you this, that almost everybody has different circles of friends, most people have a close group of about three friends. Those are the people you're going to tell everything about in your life. And then you've got another group of pretty good friends. Maybe they're not at the same level of friends, but they're good friends. And, and that one is somewhere between eight to 12 people. And then you'll have a larger circle of 20 to 25 people who you call friends. But really what you mean is, yeah, when we work with each other, we sit by each other. And so when we're looking at relationships, like it's easy for us to get caught up in the three relationships that we have or the five close relationships that we have. And I'll be honest with you, I am the world's worst at this. Three of my closest friends I have known since I was in like kindergarten. One of them was Justin that I was talking about earlier. Like we've been friends for that long. And the bad thing of it is we don't even like each other. Now we became friends. Seating charts. 
You, you guys remember you guys remember in school when the teacher would sit you in seating charts and they just did it by alphabetical order? Coates, Coltrane, Collier. That's my three closest friends. Like we, we became friends because we just had to sit by each other and so it was like, well, this is working. We might as well keep going until we're 35. Like it's not easy to make relationships. I'm not saying it is. But what I'm saying is what God commands you and me to do is have a mindset open to creating relationships for that purpose. See, when you're disconnected with people that are in your proximity, whether that's at church or at work or in your family or in your neighborhood, it takes intent and purpose to move that to being connected to them. And so that's what I want to talk about today is what is our intent and purpose in taking disconnected people and connecting them? Here at Ramsey Heights, we've decided to call that bridging gaps, which simply means that we as a church believe that a disciple should build relationships within your personal proximity. That, that's what we want to do. That is the second step, we believe, of being a disciple and of discipleship. So it's like this. I've got a, I've got a picture coming up here. Uh, bonus points to anybody who can recognize this picture. Does anybody know what this is? Yell it out if you know. It's not the bridge to Newport. It's a good guess, though. It's close. It's okay. Some of you have been here. This is the old Batesville Bridge, or the old um, White River Bridge down here at Batesville. Uh, this bridge was built in 1926, and it was torn down and rebuilt to the bridge we now have in 1979. I, I wasn't alive back then. Some of you were. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying you were alive a lot longer than I am. Uh, some of you recognize that. And I want you to think about the process of building this bridge back in the 1920s. You had two pieces of land that were in proximity to each other, north of the river and south of the river. I'm not sure. I couldn't find the information, but I bet there was probably a ferry here. But the purpose of this is, the purpose of what I'm trying to get at, you had two pieces of land and there was a gap in between them, a little thing called the White River. And somebody with intent and focus and planning sat down and said, I'm going to take... Uh, I'm going to find a way to take those two pieces of land and I'm going to connect them. And what they did is they literally bridged a gap. And that's what we're calling on us, on me and you as disciples to do is to bridge gaps in the same way. To, to figure out who is in proximity with us that we are disconnected with and bridge that gap of disconnection. Most of the time, the only reason we're disconnected from people is just unfamiliarity. I actually said it. I practiced that this morning. Like, we're just unfamiliar with people, so it causes a divide between us. Like, you, you walk into church, and you see a person, you know their face, but you never saw, thought to sit down and say their name, so you're like, hi, and you go sit down. Or, or you go to work, and there's that person that you see around a lot, and you know them, but the truth is, they don't work in the cubicles or in the rooms right next to yours, so you just kind of say hi to them on the way to the, to the copier or to the break room or whatever. What we want to do as disciples and what we believe we are called to do is to find a way over that gap of disconnection to put in the time and effort to bridge that gap and connect two people that were, uh, not connect, two people that were disconnected to connect them together for the purpose of the glory of God. This is what it means to love your neighbor. Now, some of you are going, I'm not doing that. I'm going to work tomorrow. I'm not reaching out to the weird person nobody talks to. Brian, I'm kind of shy. I don't really like people. Me too, trust me. I, I love y'all and I love seeing y'all, but I mean, sometimes I'm like, hi, and I don't know what else to say to you. Like, I, I'm with you. But, but listen to this. Here's what we truly believe, and this is the purpose of our bridge gaps in our discipleship-making process. 
we believe that the first place that a believer should learn to bridge gaps for the glory of God is in the church. I don't expect you to come here and hear a, should I say it, an excellent message this morning and go out and change how you view every relationship tomorrow. It's not that easy. But we believe the first step to doing this is making a choice to build relationships for the purpose of glorifying God. And we believe the way that you should begin to learn to do that is purposely building relationship with other believers around our mutual love of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. If I wanted to be a NASCAR driver, if that was my life's goal, I wouldn't sit around and talk about how to drive with a bunch of school bus drivers. Those two things are connected, but you're not going to learn a lot about being a NASCAR driver from school bus drivers. If I'm interested in singing and songwriting, which, thank God for y'all, I'm not, I'm not going to sit around with a bunch of bankers and listen to them talk about banking and hope that makes me a better singer-songwriter. And if you are serious about being a follower of Christ, if we are serious about being disciples, that means that we will build relationship with other disciples who will build us up, teach us, and grow us. Take home truth number two. We first learn to bridge gaps with other believers. And believe it or not, that's the plan. That's not just something we say here at Ramsey Heights. That's the plan. Think of it this way. Many of you know how it works. Like, if you become a follower of Christ, we call that being saved or getting salvation. Like, like you, you become saved, and then your very next step biblically is you are obedient to God in baptism. And after being baptized, what does that automatically do when you're baptized? It automatically makes you part of a church. Look at how God prioritized your faith. Have faith, believe who Christ is. Have obedience, do what he calls you to do. Be connected to other believers. That's how important it is to God, is he put it in the first three steps. And so we believe that when we come to a point where we have learned to adore God, that it will also mean that we learn to love others. We will begin to bridge gaps, and it will start in our church. For many of you, this is your church. Ramsey Heights is your church, church, whether you're a member or not. When you go to church, you wake up, you come here, and we love you, and we're glad that you're here. But when we talk about proximity, when you have identified this as your church, what you are saying is, this is the proximity of believers I want to be in. Look around at all these people. I mean, sure, they're not as smart as you. They're not as good looking as you are. But they love the same God that you love. And you come here to be with us. Not, not to be with me, to be with us. That's why we are here together. To be in the proximity of other believers. And what does, what does the Bible say is love your neighbor. Love those in proximity. Begin building relationships. Because the truth is, if you come here every week, it doesn't do you a lot. I, I hope that you learn something when I preach. But if all you ever do is come listen to me preach, you're, you're not doing yourself any favors. If you look in the Bible, how many times does it mention a specific preacher or a specific sermon? Like three or four times, not very many. But if you read the Bible and you start to ask yourself, when does this point to a gathering of believers growing together, bridging gaps with each other? And the answer is almost every page. The book of Acts is almost exclusively about believers coming together and working for God and building relationships. If you look at the epistles, all of those are instructions to groups of believers who have come together and bridge gaps with each other. What we, what we are doing here is we are coming here to meet with others who have a common passion for Jesus Christ and bridging gaps with each other based on that. 
And the truth is, is that is how God has designed it. I've said this a hundred times, you'll hear it a thousand more. You do not need attendance at church. It does you no good to just show up on Sunday morning. You need connection in a church. Because God has called us to do many things as a group of people. As believers, you know what he tells us? That things that you cannot do unless you've built relationships around our mutual passion for Christ? What the Bible tells us is, hey, find other believers and carry each other's burdens. That, that means when, when one of my brothers and sisters in my church is having a hard time, I hit my knees and I cry alongside of them because it's not yours to carry. I'm going to carry it with you. Uh, the Bible tells us that when we get together, that we confess our sins to each other. And some of you are like, ooh, never really done that one before. But our relationship should be so strong that we can go to brothers and sisters in Christ and be like, hey, listen, I'm really dealing with an anger problem right now. And I keep snapping at people at work. I need accountability and I need prayer. We should be able to go to our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I need help. I'm trying to cut sin out of my life and I've got a porn addiction and I need you to help me get out of it. I need accountability and I need prayer. That's the kind of relationships God has called us to in the church, not just to say hi as we walk in. The Bible says this, this is Old Testament, but it says iron sharpens iron. And the, the church is a place where we come not just to attend, but to be with other believers whose faith can help sharpen our faith. And in time, as our faith grows, our faith will sharpen the faith of others. I love this. You're going to hear me talk about this a little bit more here in a little bit. On Wednesday nights, we have the best Bible study I've ever been a part of. And all we do is open the Bible, we self-reflect on it for about seven or eight minutes, and then we discuss how it applies to us individually. If you want to talk about what it means to learn and grow in Christ, sit in a room full of people who take their relationships with God seriously and listen to them talk about what it means to be thankful to God in all circumstances. Sit in a room and listen to them talk about killing sin in their life. Learn from others and they learn from you. And so that's something we can only do when we come together. The Bible also tells us to build each other up, that this is a place where we should encourage each other to go the way of God. But those things don't happen just because we come in a building. Those things happen when we have real, honestly strong relationships that we can feel free to do that in. And that's what we want to build here at Ramsey Heights, and that's what we hope that we can build then in the world with people around us. See, our faith is intertwined with relation relationships with other believers. And as a matter of fact, Jesus says it is a defining part of being a disciple. In John 13, 35, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love each other. And then 30, verse, that was 34. 35 says this, by this, people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Listen to what Jesus just said there. He said, a defining part of being a disciple is the way that you love other disciples. He said, it is such a defining part of being a disciple that that is how the world will know who you are. It doesn't say the world will know that you are a follower of Christ based on how many, um, how many things you share on social media that, that, that point to faith. People aren't going to look at how much you give to charity and know that you're a follower of Christ. People aren't going to look at how many times you sit in a church and know that you're a follower of Christ. He says the identifier to the world that you are a follower of Christ is they're going to look at you and they're going to look at your relationships with other followers of Christ and they're going to go, Christian. 
I've seen this one before. There's only one group of people in the world who builds relationships with each other based on what they can give instead of what they can get, and that's Christians. And I see that in your life. And so I know who you belong to because of that. So not only is building relationships for that reason something we're called to do, turns out it's a ministry and a witnessing opportunity. Take home truth number three is relationships based around mutual affection for Christ is a defining mark of a disciple. And I just want to drop a hard truth on us this morning. If you believe that God calls you in obedience to what the Bible says, if you believe that Jesus was serious when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, and you believe that you should be out building relationships, not for what somebody can give you, but what you what you can get from somebody, but what you can give to somebody. If you truly believe that, I don't mean to rain on your parade, but let me be clear. If you don't have the faith and the strength to build relationships within a local church for the glory of God, for all of your good intentions, you will not be obedient to that outside of the church. This is our training ground. This is where we come to grow. If I say my life, in my life, church relationships are not important, I'm not going to bridge gaps in the world either because that won't be important. So we as a church, if we are serious about making disciples, we have to be serious about bridging gaps and building relationships in the church. And as a church, we're serious about building disciples. And so we are serious about taking upon ourselves the responsibility of trying to figure out how to better build relationships among each other. That is why step B of making a disciple is that we bridge gaps. We bridge gaps at Ramsey Heights. So what we'll be asking you to do, and this will be part of our culture, is we're going to be asking you and giving you every opportunity to take the next step. You come here on Sunday morning, you adore God with us. Praise the Lord. I'm glad that you're here. Let's do it every Sunday. Take the next step. Take the next step in bridging gaps. Take the next step in being a disciple. Take the next step and build relationships. And the truth is, is that Sunday morning service is not the best place to do this. Like, I'm glad you're here. I love being here with you. But the truth is, most of us get here at like 10.55 and we leave at 12.01. Like, we're in the door and we're out the door. And we might say hi to somebody and we might have a small conversation with somebody, but we're not building deep relationships. I've never walked out of this church and seen somebody stop in the foyer and goes, I just need to confess my sin to somebody. Like, we, we don't do that here. Not that we shouldn't. So what we're challenging you to do is to take the next step because we believe that if you want to build real relationships, you will do it in a small circle of people in a group of 10 to 20 people. And our goal and our hope at this church is that we want to build relationships in small groups, group, uh, a group of people that you can know intimately, know the details of their life. For years, we've called this Sunday school. We've called it a Sunday school class. I and mean, we want to move away from the concept of class. You probably heard it at other churches called life groups or connection groups or family groups or something like that. What we're going to call our small groups here is uh, bridge crews. <laughs> It started as a joke. We joked about it until we liked it. And then we decided this actually means something. Hey, here, here's the truth. Here's what I want to ask you. Who is the 10 to 20 people that you, or who is the 10 to 20 people that is your crew that you are bridging gaps with? That's your bridge crew. That's the group of people that we want you in every single week. We want you in a group of people that you're purposely connected with that you can support and pray for each other and hold accountable and mentor and be mentored to. 
Right now, we have two of these bridge groups, two of these small groups that meet for adults at 10 a.m. every single Sunday. And I'm hoping within the next six months to add another crew that will um, be just for people from 18 to 30 years old. Our, our young college and career age people need a place to belong as well. And what I'm hoping is that we can take these, these different crews, these small groups, and move from just sitting around in Bible study and move to truly building relationships. I met with our deacons and our adult Sunday school teachers this last week, and, and uh, we've decided to shift the focus of our small group meeting. I sat down and I said two, groups for our small, or two goals for our small groups. Goal number one is when we meet in a small group, we should be spiritually growing. Goal number two is that that growth should come through connection. And I said, what do we need to do that? And overwhelmingly, the people that I was meeting with said, that happens when you have interaction with each other in that small group. And so we have looked at our plans. We've looked at what's working well. We looked at what we can do better. And here's some changes you're going to see starting on the 1st of September, the first Sunday of September. We're going to continue to have small groups that meet around a curriculum but they're going to meet on a curriculum every other week. The following week, every other week in these small groups, hoping to grow people in relationships that foster spiritual growth, we'll be moving to what we call here SOAP. That's that Wednesday night study I told you about earlier. Every other week, we're going to give you an opportunity to dig into the Word with people, and to grow with them, to communicate with them, and to hear the heart of people in the room with you. We really believe that this is going to change our church as we connect to each other, as we build relationships, as you listen to people, as they tell, tell their testimony, and they share their knowledge. Now, before I go any farther, let me just set that aside and, and let me address this. I know that when we talk about change, that there's some people in here that are excited. I like change. Let's try something new. A lot of people are indifferent. I also know that the word change makes some of you so upset and so scared at what it means to see something different. And I can hear your voices right now. Why do we have to call it bridge cruise instead of Sunday school? Why do we have to change what we're doing and try something new? And I, I just wanted to stop and I prayed about this. God, should I put this in here? I just wanted to stop and I just wanted you to know if that's how you feel, if change scares you, I want you to know I feel you, I hear you, and I'm sensitive to that. And what we're doing has not been done in spite of you and your feelings. It was taken into consideration that it would make some people uncomfortable. But the truth is, as a church, we've had to make a choice. And the choice is this, is are we a church, are we a church that focuses on comfort? Are we a church that focuses on making disciples? And I want you to know with all of my heart what we're doing and trying our best to do is not forget anybody, not make anybody uncomfortable. We are trying with all of our hearts to be obedient to God when he commands us to make disciples of all the world. So I want you to know you're not forgotten and I just want to invite you to pour into these groups to bridge gaps with others. And I promise you, if you are that scared of change, it's because you've been in church in a long time and you have a lot to offer younger people who can come in and grow from you. So as we look at this, we had to ask some questions. How are we going to do this? And I'm running out of time, so I'm going to go through these next points really quickly. Here's our strategy. We need to figure out how to move people that are coming to worship service and help motivate them and find a place for them. And so every year, or 
yearly, we're going to dedicate four Sundays as just Make Disciple Sundays. And you're going to hear a message very similar to what I've preached on today about your need for connection in the church. And after that, we're going to provide opportunities for you to meet with our bridge crew leaders, get to know them, and sign up for a class. Because we want the identity of our church to be that we are a church that bridges gaps. And I believe that a church's identity will be what is repeated in that church. And so we get to do this. Now, I want to be clear, as we talk about this, we're not going to talk about what you should be doing. I'm not going to sit up here and say, you know what, you've been in church a long time, you should be in a small group. We don't do that here. Here's the truth, let me tell you what you're missing if you don't have relationships. You may get to heaven, but you're missing 95% of what God designed for you in this life before you get there if you are not connected with other believers. And so this isn't something I believe you should do. It's something that I believe that you're missing and I hope you will get this blessing. And I can prove it's a blessing. Because in living in, or in joining small groups, in bridging gaps, in building relationships, we get to live like Christ lived. Take home truth number four is bridging gaps was the heart of Christ. The Bible says that the first place that Christ followers were called Christians is Antioch. And the word Christian literally means to be Christ-like. We can't be him, we can't be exactly like him, but we strive to follow his example. And when you look at Jesus, you look at how he loved others, and it caused him to bridge gaps. And people thought he was crazy. Jesus, why are you meeting with that tax collector? He's a thief. He has nothing to offer you. You know what Jesus' answer was? Because I love him. Jesus, why are you bridging gaps with that prostitute? She has nothing to offer you. Because I love her. Jesus, why are you spending time with those lepers? They have nothing to give you but a deadly disease, and yet you seek them out and you love them. Why? Because this is who I came here to reach. This, this is the life that Christ lived. And Christ also had his bridge crew. He had 12 men that he pulled aside and he built relationships with and we love to talk about Jesus. We love to talk about Jesus. Like, like Jesus preached to the multitudes. Jesus fed the 5,000. If you will read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you'll read the Gospels, two-thirds of the Gospels tell the story of Jesus and 12 men. And that's all that's there. Jesus himself modeled this, finding a small group of people. And what did he call them? They were called, they were called his disciples. See, what we're doing here is not a new concept. It's a basic part of following Christ from the beginning. But maybe the most important thing is that Jesus didn't just stop at going and finding the unvaluable in society. Jesus lived his life and he died his death all for the purpose of bridging gaps with you and me. Live if you want to come up here. L listen to what Jesus did. Jesus cared so much about us. He didn't just figure out who was in his proximity. He put himself in proximity with you and me. Though he was God, he had everything he could ever want. He came here as a man to be with me and you. And though he was in proximity with us, he was still disconnected from us. There was a gap between us and him, a gap that we call sin where we had rejected him and turned away from him. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will build a bridge with two pieces of wood and three nails. And he let his body be hung on a cross so that the disconnection between us and him could go away and he could have us forever. 
This morning, I don't know what everybody's soul state is in, but I have to believe that there's somebody here and you know good and well God is saying, cross that bridge. Put your faith in me. God's already done the hard work of bridging the gap. All he says is you have to accept the invitation to come across it. And so this morning, if that's you, don't walk out of here again, another Sunday saying, I'll take care of it next Sunday. Go ahead and make the commitment. God, I will follow you. God, I accept your salvation. And for the rest of us, I want to ask you, what can you do more? What can you do more to be like Christ? To bridge gaps to people, to do the hard work, to advance the kingdom, to grow others. Don't leave here the same as you walked in today. Let's stand and worship together.